This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking again to researcher Seamus Malik Afzali. We've had him on the show twice before. He's very good when it comes to Iran. I definitely trust him. He speaks Persian, all sorts. And today he's going to be speaking about these bizarre explosions that have been happening in Iran. They're kind of mysterious. At first people thought, oh, it's maybe some kind of electrical fault. Then there was another explosion. Then there was another one and another one. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. Some people think it's Israel. Some people think it's Saudi Arabia. Could be either of those. Um, but recently a group called the Homeland Cheaters claimed the attack. So Seamus is going to tell us what he thinks about that. If you like what we're doing, please support us at patreon.com slash popular front. Before we get into all of the weird theories around what is going on in Iran and who it might be, Saudi Arabia, Israel, God knows who else. Before we get into all that, firstly explain to us what has been going on. There's been, what, four of these mysterious explosions. Tell us what's happened, where they've been, all that. Uh, there's been more than four at this point. I think there's been around five or six. Oh. Uh, and then a couple couple fires. Um, so everything started at uh, June 26th at about 1 a.m. on Tehran. Um, there was, if, if you were in the, the southern suburbs, uh, sorry, if you were from Tehran, you could see that there was a huge red light coming from the southern, uh, southeastern suburbs of Tehran. And nobody knew what it was from. There was no big sound that anybody reported, but there was like just this big light emanating from uh, from over the hills. Uh, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what it was from. Nobody knew what had exploded uh, for about a couple hours. Then they sent in uh, fire trucks. There were no casualties, uh, or at least not enough casualties to warrant ambulances being set out. But the speculation from outside analysts was that it was from a, uh, a, a missile production facility, though there hasn't been a satellite imagery or anything to, to really confirm that theory. But then missile, miss, like missile production facility explosions or accidents at plants are not an uncommon necessarily thing. I mean, not just, not just in Iran, but elsewhere. But then the explosions started to ramp up. Um, then after this, there was an explosion at a hospital uh, in Tehran um, that was ostensibly caused by, uh, at least according to the to people on the ground, uh, by oxygen tank explosions. But 19 people died uh, in that explosion, uh, mostly doctors and people on the surgery floor. Um, then after that, there was a uh, civilian power plant exploded in uh, Ahvaz province. Uh, then there was a fire at a garden in Shiraz that completely engulfed the place. Uh, then there was another explosion uh, last night um, in I want to say I want to say it was also in Tehran, but it was in it was in western Tehran. Uh, at a uh, a medical a, uh, a medicine factory, essentially also caused by oxygen tanks exploding, but that wasn't confirmed. Um, I'm sure there are maybe a couple that I've been missing. There are, but there have been like scattered reports of other explosions, but nothing nothing too concrete. But the the, the thing that is is just consistent throughout all of these is that there's no cause um, until much later or. There, there's so many conspiracy theories surrounding it. They're all happening at the ex- at pretty much the exact same time consecutively, um, and this is not something that is typical. Uh, people are discussing who's behind it, who's who's um, who's who's doing it. Uh, but then the main the main thing that everybody's talking about is aside from all those explosions and fires, there was a reported fire at the Natanz nuclear plant. Uh, which is a big um, cylinder production facility. Uh, previously, this was reported as a, a fire, and there was a photo that was shown from the ground level, the one photo that was circulated to a lot of news agencies. It just showed it like a, like there's, there's like a hole in the wall, but it was it seemed to be like a fire of some sort, which which can happen. It's a nuclear production facility. But then it became clear from satellite imagery 
that this was an explosion and not just like any explosion like it seemed like a bomb uh, if you look at the satellite imagery of this that has been uh, distributed by Iran International, which is, in, which is an opposition news network, you can see the, the debris around it. It's been scattered some 50 feet off of the walls. The entire western half of the building has been annihilated. And initially, people just thought it was an accident. But then... Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a Middle Eastern intelligence official, quote-unquote, um, who said that it was a deliberate bomb by Israeli infiltrators. And then the Iranian officials agreed with this assessment. And then there started to be this very, not especially coy game that Israeli politicians started playing, where they wouldn't confirm or deny that then the town's explosion was their fault. But they seem to be hinting extremely in that direction. Uh, Benny Gantz, who is the Israeli defense minister, was more kind of on denial side, like that everything is, is our fault, but he didn't explicitly say that it wasn't their fault. Um, but then uh, Foreign Minister Gabi Ashkenazi was a lot more uh, pointed in, 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 this, in his ambiguity. How how so? What do you say? Uh, I need I need to see the exact quote, but he spoke on uh, but he spoke to IDF radio, uh, in specific, and he took the line that um, Ehud Barak did when there was another explosion at the Iran nuclear facility in 2010, uh, where he said, "We have a long-term policy over the course of many administrations not to allow Iran to have nuclear abilities," and then he added, "We take actions that are better left unsaid." Which seems pretty ominous to me. It does seem ominous, right? But the fact he's talking on IDF radio, he's trying to be like Billy Big Bollocks, he's trying to act the man. Like, do you think that there's something to that? Or do you think it's just like, you know, trying to be the big man? I, I can easily see him just trying to be very, big, like you said, big man-ish. But the issue is is that it's not like... When, when Saudi commentators... Um, who have also been talking about these explosions, and when they talk about, ooh, someone's being naughty in Tehran, or something like that, like, they don't have the um, the ability to infiltrate, you know, these facilities and plant these bombs. But Israel has a long and storied history of infiltrating Iran's nuclear facilities, assassinating its scientists, um, airstriking um, places where Iranian nuclear scientists are working elsewhere, like in Syria. Um... It, they they have the mo they have they have a long history of doing so so while the Natanz nuclear explosion would not would be maybe more of a large scale operation it certainly isn't outside of the scope of possibility and one of the things that a lot of analysts especially in Israel have been saying is that the reason for this explosion right now is because. Uh, Right-wing politicians in Israel are fearful that come November, someone might not be in office in America who will be so friendly to these constantly rising tensions between Iran and Israel. So they want to get these things out of the way before they might not be able to under a Biden administration. Ah. Uh. So, like, you're, you're saying, I mean, theoretically, that they might be being like, right, do it while no one tells us off. Exactly, exactly. Um, what was the reaction from the uh, the Iranian regime media? Like, what were they saying about these explosions? Uh, well, the, before the explosions, the other explosions that have been happening, the, I'm, I'm actually genuinely surprised at how little conspiracy talk has been going on in that kind of media, especially because conspiracies are a really big thing in Iranian media. Um, but sometimes it's just talking about just, you know, these are horrible accidents. Um, uh, these are, you know, oxygen tanks. It's, it's, it, they're all coincidental. It's very tragic, but it's, it's just all coincidental. But the Natanz nuclear site, they've obviously been talking about how Israel is behind it. And it's not something that they're pulling out of thin air when there's this kind of talk from the Israeli government. It's less conspiratorial and more grounded. And so they're, they're talking about it in relation to that. But the other explosions, they haven't mentioned any, uh, potential outside interference at least not that i've seen right 
Um, so, saying all that, recently you were showing me this the other day. There's a strange group that no one has ever fucking heard of called the Homeland Cheaters, which sounds like a Little League baseball team in the US. So the Homeland Cheaters have come out with a, some kind of statement, right? What did they say? Whoever the fuck they are. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. The Homeland Cheetahs thing, I, I could not I, I could not figure out what exactly their deal was, just to be upfront. But there are clues, I suppose. Um, what, what's strange about this group is that Iranian opposition groups are really infamous for being heavily ideological to the point of, of madness. Um... There are, there are internal splits between right-wingers and left-wingers about every which way. Uh, everybody has a specific idea of what kind of regime they want to install in Iran. Um, it, it's, just, it's just part of part of the process. So when a group comes along that claims to be fighting the Iranian government and no one can tell what exactly it wants, it, it's, a, it's a novel thing. Um, it's a novelty that arises, or it arouses a lot of suspicion, I think. So, the Homeland Cheetahs, they, the thing that made it stand out, um, in particular, was how it claimed responsibility uh, for the Natanz nuclear, nuclear attack, nuclear site attack. So, terrorist, atta- terrorist groups, obviously, like in the past, have claimed responsibility for attacks that they didn't do. Uh, like uh, like ISIS claimed responsibility for uh, the Las Vegas attacks, even though there was no evidence to suggest that. But what made this interesting was that they sent a acknowledgement of responsibility for the attack uh, with pictures of the site attached uh, to BBC Persian uh, a couple hours before the announcement of the fire was, was announced to the Iranian press. It had already happened, but the, the press had not been alerted yet. So... The question is, how would they know about it otherwise? They would have to, at the very least, have some foreknowledge of the attack, so they would have to, at some level, be within the Iranian security services or adjacent to it. But to what level is it? How big is this group? Is it even really a group? Is it just one guy? Did they actually do it? Uh, that's that's not really known. Um, the The only clues that we can really tell about what it wants necessarily is in the terminology that they use. Um, one of the one of the choice terms that they use is that they talk about wanting to take down uh, the government of Zahok. Uh, Zahok is a uh, is a Persian mythological figure, and it, it's a one that's been used a lot in Iranian protest movements. It was used during uh, the Iranian Revolution to describe the Shah as Zahok is just this this evil mythological being. But nowadays, that's not really used all that much, at least not by the younger generation. But if you're on Persian Twitter, uh, monarchists love using the term Zahok to describe um, the current Islamic Republic. That isn't definitive, though. There are uh, During the Iranian Revolution, obviously the anti-monarchists were the one using that term. But at least in the present day, on the internet, that's that's... The people who are using that kind of terminology, because there's a lot of callbacks in the monarchist community to Iranian mythology, Iran's purported uh, more secular past, more 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 quote unquote honorable past. But even then, I know that I'm I'm stretching with that. There there's there's still so much. The video hasn't been released to the public yet. We're relying on screenshots from other journalists. Um, the homeland she does have, have no history before this moment. Or really sense they haven't posted anything or even signaled their continuing existence uh it's really up in the air um israel has um persian outreach services like like their persian language twitter account and so on but there's no real there doesn't seem to be any connection between this one and the homeland she does at least not now so yeah mm. I think you're onto something, though, even though it is kind of reaching, like you said. I mean, the monarchists now, or at least the people that have got that old mindset, would be the people that are closer to the US, right? Yes, yes. The the monarchists, um, the monarchist opposition to the Iranian government are primarily based in the US. They have lots of connections with the US government. Um, 
I want to say back in 2017, the National Security Council wanted Trump to do a Persian New Year message with the exiled crown prince. Um, they're very, uh, I don't know what the word is. They're, they're very accepted within the intelligence community in the United States. Uh, they're not as, they're not nearly as organized as, for example, the MEK is, who have their military compound and an organized paramilitary force. But they have much more mainstream appeal, if, if that could be said. But even then, it, there's no evidence that they're, they're that popular inside of Iran anymore. Yeah, no, sure, definitely. I'm not getting into any uh, conspiracy theories here, but it is, it is. I don't know, it's, it's an interesting thing that you clocked that. Um, what did they actually say in their message? I know you said they uh, used certain terminology, but did they say anything other than, we did this, or was there anything else? Not really. They said it was one of um, one of many future attacks, and that the end of the government is coming. But other than that, um, nothing specific. There was no um, invocation of any popular figure or um, call to arms for any ideology. Just very simple, um, very short, direct messaging. Mm. Um, and what is the relevance of the the cheater, if any? Because I normally, like, I know some Iranians, and they're always talking about being lions and stuff rather than cheaters. I mean, does that have any relevance? Do you think? Uh, I mean, there there is a there is a subspecies of cheetah that's uh, the Iranian cheetah, the Asiatic cheetah. But um, I, I it's 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 not as popular as the lion and the sun, but. I don't know, perhaps they're trying to use a less used imagery. I know that they had the cheetah on the national football jerseys, like way back in the day. But even then, like, I don't know. I can't speculate. Though, I did notice that the logo of the Homeland Cheetahs, uh, I don't think it's a cheetah. I think it's a leopard. It is, yeah. It is, yeah. I saw that as well. It's not a cheetah. Yeah, it... it... That kind of laziness also just inherently makes me suspicious about the kind of the the veracity of this of this kind of group. Like, is it a real group? Is it? I I, I can't help thinking that this is a front for something, um, for some sort of intelligence laundering of some kind to maybe direct blame elsewhere. But even then, I don't I don't have any evidence to base that on. It's just me speculating. There's so little information about this. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's it's interesting because the fact you said they kind of put the claim out there before anyone else really heard of it. They definitely know Summit, do you know what I mean? There's something there that, that doesn't just happen otherwise, which is why it's interesting. Um, how, I, I know nothing about the Iranian nuclear facilities or anything like that. Um, how would someone even infiltrate that? Surely it would have to be like an insider getting paid off or, I don't know, how would that even work? I mean, the... The ac access to Iranian nuclear facilities is uh, really weird. Um, there are, yeah, obviously there would have to be some sort of access already granted to them. Um, maybe they would have to be in a uniform. They would have to have already infiltrated the nuclear program to some extent beforehand. But then again, there was a video of uh, a news reporter. Uh, there was It was from a news report in Iran where someone just walks in to the nuclear, like, um, like a nuclear plant. Um, the, the access to these Iranian nuclear facilities, it, it's, I mean, obviously there are problems with that access, considering that so many Israeli agents have been able to infiltrate it, but there doesn't seem to be any consistency with how people have been able to get in, what they've been able to bring in. Um, Iranian intelligence services are good, but they're not as good as they probably need to be uh, if they want to uh, keep Israel out. What role does Saudi Arabia have in this? I've heard a lot of people, again, it's conspiracy theories, but there have been people saying that they've been kind of nodding that, oh, maybe it was us sort of thing as well. I mean, what are they saying? Yeah, they, yeah, they've been doing that. And it's, 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 uh, th there was, there was this really horrible thing uh, that uh, one of them said, uh, do you know uh, Ali Shihabi? No. Okay, Ali Shihabi is, uh, he was he used to be the head of this uh, big pro-Saudi think tank uh, in D.C. Which one? Oh, <laughs> uh, there was a, uh, I want to say it was called something really fancy schmancy. Something like um, like the Arabia Institute, perhaps. Uh, I, I, would need, I would need to find it out, but it folded uh, a couple of years ago. 
I was just joking. There's just so many. Of them. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, he, 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 there was a, there was a video of the hospital explosion that happened in Tehran, and it, I mean, there, there was just flames billowing. Um, there was already confirmed that almost twenty people had died, and his caption was, um, "Somebody's doing something naughty in Tehran." And it, it, there's there's this this bizarre callousness, I think, because I don't think that Saudi Arabian politicians or, or media people uh, can really claim to have done this. Again, as I said before, they don't have really the the ability to do this. They haven't really been there haven't been really many cases of Saudi agents infiltrating Iran to to do sabotage. Um, but there, there's just there's just been this uh, this. Again, like a very, very coy game where they're trying to claim that, oh, we didn't have anything to do with it. We had no knowledge of this. We had no foreknowledge of this. Um, isn't it crazy that there are these things happening in Iran all at the same time? All of these explosions in all these sensitive areas? Um, there, was, uh, the, uh, there was someone at uh, the Independent Arabia, which is um, the Saudi version of the British newspaper, uh, who's saying something similar as well. He's got a more high-profile... Um, uh, He's got a more high profile than a lot of those other people, and he was saying similar things. Um, Saudi media uh, hasn't been speculating too much, um, because any speculation that they would have about the cause of these explosions um, would result in fingers being pointed towards them. Because uh, them claiming that it would be maybe a false flag wouldn't really make sense, because why would they set back nuclear production for a full year to blame Israel? That doesn't really make sense. So they've been keeping, for the most part, silent about it, taking the similar line to the Iranian media where, you know, really horrible explosions, but completely coincidental to one another. Right. And how badly has it set them back? You just said it set them back a year. Is that like for real? Genuinely, the the damage was that bad? Yeah, there were two different uh, explanations, one provided by the Iran nuclear agency and one provided by Israeli analysts. Uh, Iranian, the Iranian uh, nuclear agency said up front this is this is setback um production but we will build a new facility uh, we'll build more protections for it and we'll ramp up production to to make up for it but they didn't specifically say um by how much by how many minutes by how many years um but people to the times of israel or haaretz um were pretty clear that this considering that this entire facility just blew up and it was self-admitted by Iran to be an incredibly important facility to the nuclear program. Um, it, it would it has set them back quite a bit by what they said by about a year, and I, I would I would believe that assessment. The thing that I find weird about that is, I mean, I don't know a lot about nuclear energy or whatever, but I, as, far, as far as I'm aware, it wasn't like there was no nuclear fallout or anything like that, right? There was no like plutonium burst open or anything. But it would have to be a fucking huge bomb to do that kind of damage. Do you know what I mean? Like, how would they get that in? Yeah, that, that that's one of the questions that I've I've been asking. Is that this this is a very very sensitive facility? Even if even if you were somehow to get access to all these different facilities around it, that that that's that's a pretty important part of it. And I don't think you can blow a huge gigantic hole into a building. With just you know maybe a grenade, uh, maybe even a pipe bomb, there would have to be I think something bigger. And the question is, how do they get it in? Where do they plant it? How do they plant it? What kind of explosive were used? Um, it's all these different things. And there's no suspect, at least not announced yet by the Iranian intelligence services. Um, nobody knows how they got in, how they got out. Uh, just a lot of unanswered questions about it thankfully it wasn't in a particularly sensitive place like a plutonium enrichment facility it was just any sim it was just any cylinder assembly place but if, if it had been that would have been even worse yeah and imagine i don't know imagine um this all does come out that yeah it was israel what kind of ramifications in theory do you think that would would have i mean what would iran do really what can they do yeah that, that's that's the thing um iran i don't think has the ability to 
I mean, it, it has literally the military capability to, for example, launch a ballistic missile at Israel. However, I don't think it would survive the aftermath of that ballistic missile explosion uh, in any meaningful way. Oh, it, it would land and Israel would just be like, Iran is done. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's not. It, that would not, I think, be <laughs> in Iran's best interest. And I, I would think Iranian generals would agree, despite how ideological they might be to the public. So the question then becomes, are there other countries, because uh, Iran specifically said that they would retaliate against the country that would be um, implicated in this, if they were implicated in this. And after Operation Martyr Soleimani, where Iranian missiles hit an American military base in Iraq, and I want to say gave like over 100 U.S. soldiers traumatic brain injuries, um... They give them purple hearts and everything. I don't think... I, I think they've been emboldened, certainly. And I think they might be more likely to pick pick more targets. And one of, the, one of the things that I've been looking at is that there's been talk in the Iranian media about a potential Gulf state being implicated. And if it's, for example, the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia or uh, maybe Bahrain they would be more likely to directly military retaliate against those powers than Israel, by, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, though in what capacity they'd be able to retaliate against Saudi Arabia or the UAE, that, that's something to be desired. Because I think we discussed this uh, on the episode about Soleimani after he was killed. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to launch a missile at Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Riyadh. I mean, yeah, for like directly from their territory. I don't know. It's it's one of them ones where they'd almost hope it's not like uh, Israel because it's just like, you know, it's like the biggest, baddest guy. I mean, I'm no fan of Israel, but let's be honest, they, they get shit done when it comes to like murdering and killing and that do you know what i mean um yes yes, yes. yeah i mean i've read rise and kill first they don't fuck around so it's like that you would kind of hope that it's not them do you see what i mean like i because then they can kind of save face a little bit i think yeah it, it, it would lead them into i mean it's already kind of leading them there but there's a new conservative parliament uh, in town super majority and after a successful, quote-unquote, successful retaliation uh, against uh, America for the killing of Soleimani, uh, there is, I think, this hunger to be more bold uh, in trying to get American influence out of the Middle East and trying to... You, can't, you obviously can't military retaliate against Israel, but there might be... If, if there is a Gulf state implicated in this either really or by the Iranian government uh there might be i think more talk about directly military retaliating but yeah to what to what extent um i i don't know and the issue is is that iran can't the the issue for the Iranian government is that they can't run in circles like this anymore when you're talking about oh we're going to retaliate against israel for their for their crimes of assessing our nuclear scientists or um, uh, attacking our, our our people in Syria because now that you've successfully bombed your greatest foreign enemy, you know the the Americans on their own base. I don't know. I mean, what's the what what limit are you are you then putting on yourself if you're willing to bomb an American base um, in a country that they've been based in for some twenty some years? But you're not willing to retaliate against Israel. You're not willing to retaliate against the UAE. You're not willing to retaliate against Saudi Arabia for crimes that they've committed against um, the Iranian military. Uh, yeah, because because the Iranian military officials, they're 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 intelligent. They're smart. They know they they're trained. They're they're trained. They know how things go, and they calculated the risk of bombing the Al Assad air base in Iraq before they did so, but. Conservative Iranian politicians who are in parliament, whose only job is to, you know, make noise, they don't, they're not trained in these kinds of things. They, they, they're just all about ramping up the fervor and demanding that there be some sort of retaliation and 
whether or not the parliament and the IRGC or the Iranian military are going to go up in arms about that or clash internally, who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that thing of like, how far do you cross the line before it's too late? Um, you mentioned there about like how in the past Israel has assassinated many of the uh, Iranian nuclear scientists. Can you just tell us briefly about the history of that? Because it's very interesting, I think. Yeah, so back in, I want to say 2010, uh, the Mossad... Uh, now, okay, to be fair, it was never confirmed by the Mossad that they were assessing nuclear scientists, but nobody was under the impression that the Mossad was not doing this. Um, yeah, so back at, starting in 2010, uh, nuclear scientists in Iran started getting murdered very regularly. Um, there was, uh, some of them had bombs planted in their motorcycles, which had exploded upon ignition. Uh, some of them were shot down in the street, like just point blank. Uh, and there was a big climate of fear uh, toward the end of um, Ahmadinejad's administration about, I mean, what's the future of the nuclear program if our scientists aren't safe? Uh, this kind of tempered down after uh, Rouhani took power, but they can't really start it up again, I think, or else people would know. So I think that's why they're going toward um, more in-your-face, uh, big um, attacks against Iran's nuclear program that are not as subtle. Um, but I think during that program, I want to say close to 10 nuclear scientists were assassinated in total, but it all happened within a couple years. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I, I, I forgot. It wasn't, an it wasn't exactly an assassination, but back when uh, Israel, back when Syria had its own nuclear program, um, Israel bombed that, uh, that planet extraction to oblivion, and that killed a couple uh, Iranian nuclear scientists as well. But that wasn't a targeted assassination, that was just collateral damage. Mm. Always very busy, Israel. Very, very busy. Um, yeah, Iran has a lot of enemies, obviously, because of their, you know, brutal dictatorship that's going on. Um, we can't forget that. But what what have the other groups said in Iran? Like, there's other militant groups. Have they said anything about these bombings? I know they haven't claimed them, but surely they got something to say about it. <sighs> Not okay. Well, hmm. Yeah, they have. They haven't. They haven't claimed it in responsibility. But I was surprised by how quiet they kept about it. Uh, even the MEK, which is kind of infamous for blaming everything and anything on the Iranian government and its policies and its and its uh, work abroad, uh, even they they're not really applying. They're not really talking about how the Iranian government is responsible for this. Um, how this is this is a result of their their corruption that these hospitals are blowing up, that there are fires in the gardens. I think because they know deep down that this is the work of a foreign government and they don't want to be caught uh, condemning it. And um, the MBKs, the MBK has been like that. Um, the royalists back in the United States have been, have been saying similar things, but the main thing that's kept their attention away from these fires is a thing that they can blame on the Iran government, which is, they're talking about um, this pact uh, with China, and then they're talking about sovereignty and independence, and that's taken most of their attention away. Um, and allows them to very safely ignore um, what could very well be actions by a foreign power that they are allied with. Um, and this is the kind of conflict of interest that comes up with um, a lot of, like, Ahvazi separatists, where they can't really condemn things that might be the result of Saudi Arabia's actions in Iran because Saudi Arabia has been a pretty ardent backer of those separatists, so they can't really comment on it either, probably. And that, of course, just leaves uh, the homeland cheetahs to take responsibility. But other than that, they've been keeping pretty quiet about it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you came on to talk about this. I know it's it's a very weird one to talk about because it's all theory. And I'm sure people listen to be like, yeah, you guys are just you guys are just theorizing. But exactly like that's fine. We're just talking about what's going on. Um, but is there anything else you think we should mention before we kind of let this go? Uh, ooh. Um, well, there's right now a lot of turmoil in the Israeli government and they're talking about doing a fourth election. 
uh, very, very soon. And if it does go to that point, um, which I hope it doesn't, um, I would be on the lookout for another escalation in Iran-Israel tensions. It's a really, it, it's a proven, um, it, it, is, it is a proven good move by Netanyahu. It always gets the polls up to raise tensions with either Palestine or Iran. And since it seems to be maybe on the horizon. So I think maybe if you can, I know this isn't about Israel as such, but maybe just explain those tensions briefly, because it's very complicated right now in Israel. I am going to do an episode on it, but just for the context of this, can you just explain briefly, like, what is those the tension that's going on right now in uh, Tel Aviv? Oh, God. Uh, where to start? Uh, well, there's, there's two. The two major ones, if I could just be brief about it, the two major ones is that one, Netanyahu is on trial for corruption. Um, and he has been delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying uh, his trial for as long as he possibly can. Uh, there was a thing just yesterday where he tried to do a probe of the judges that were trying to prosecute him, because he's the prime minister and he can do that, and that was thankfully stopped. Um, but the other thing is annexation. And the annexation was supposed to happen uh, a week ago. Um, where Israel was supposed to swoop in to uh, the Jordan Valley of Palestine's West Bank, annex it for Israel, and um, extend full Israeli law to those areas. Um, and he, the reason why he promised July 1st in such a, um, a quick date was because he was trying to win the election. Uh, and he was successful in that. He managed to um, pretty much emasculate Betty Gantz by forcing him into a coalition, eliminating the opposition to him, basically. Um, but now the annexation date has come and passed, and nothing happened. So a lot of Israeli conservatives are wondering what's happening. Um, a lot of um, left-wing Israelis are getting more united in opposition to this. Um, the security coordination with Palestine, that was really, really necessary to the Palestinian Authority's um, cooperation with Israel, that's extinguished. No one knows what's happening with that. And Netanyahu, even though he managed to squash the, the major opposition to him from Gantz, he, he's kind of put himself into a, a bind here where nobody's really happy with him. And he's also on trial. And also he might be facing another election. And also he's expected to annex parts of a UN Observer State. This guy. It, <laughs> he, 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 he puts himself into a trap of his own making, and then everyone else in the world is kind of forced to pick up the pieces. Like, like everybody does, like, America, obviously, is not is no stranger to this. A lot of nations, a lot of major powers, they start wars to win elections. That's, that's, not, that's not atypical as sorry as that is to say. However, Israel... Netanyahu is so this happens so often it, it becomes comical at a certain point just morbidly comical like he keeps escalating these these things with with Palestine and Iran and all these different countries and then when it backfires on him his solution is then to do it again right right like I need election what's Gaza saying I don't know airstrike it you know what I mean like it I know it happens over and over man I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's pretty. That's pretty much exactly it. Exactly. I mean, what, what do you think of Benny Gantz, man? What do you think of him? Uh, Benny Benny Gantz. Uh, it's 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 difficult to talk about. I mean, it's the same thing with Iran, uh, to a certain extent. You can talk about the battle between reformists and conservatives in Iran, and in that small political scene, there's a, a ocean of difference between them. But when you expand to a regular, like, if you expand to the big picture, these are um, religious right-wing conservatives who are slightly more in favor of liberalization going against <laughs> religious right-wing conservatives who are slightly less in favor of liberalization. And they're, they're going at it in this, in this battle of wills. And Israel is a similar way, where everything in the political scene is so far to the right that anything that is considered slightly more left-wing than Netanyahu is considered this 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 manna from heaven. Um, Benny Gantz 
is infamous um, among the Palestinian community for his actions in Gaza. And Betty Gantz is proud of how many casualties he caused in Gaza. Um, one of the ads that he put out during one of the uh, the election campaigns, God knows which one, because there were three, but one of the ads that he puts out was that he, um, bragging about how he sent Gaza back to the Stone Age. And there was a running counter of um, over a thousand terrorists neutralized, quote-unquote terrorists neutralized, but that was the total death toll in Gaza, which included, you know, civilians. Yeah, children, like, everything. Everything. But he, but he, of course, he knows that this will play well to Netanyahu voters who maybe just, you know, I was fine. It, it, it's supposed to appeal to voters who would otherwise vote for Netanyahu, but they think that him, uh, like, dealing with bribes, it's just like a step too far. Like, they were fine with the occupation of Palestine. They're fine with um, going against Gaza. They're fine with um, enabling the religious far right in Israel. But that, you know, it can't possibly be, be, be on my conscience to vote for that kind of thing. Not the bribes. Yeah, the, the, bri- the bribes is too much. It's too much. To be, to be fair to Gantz, though, didn't, didn't he say, no, we, we, we're not annexing the West Bank on that day or whatever? Yeah, he, he, he's fine with annexation, but... He just not on Tuesday. <laughs> he just not on Tuesday. Like he wants more preparation for it, which you know, I guess is fine. Uh, if I if I if I am told I have exactly two choices, um, either annex Palestine, Palestinian land on July first or a week from now. Yeah, I guess I'll take a week from now, but I'm not particularly happy about it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not really a real choice in any realistic sense of the word between Gantz and Netanyahu, at least I don't think. Yeah. Well, we've gone off topic now, man, but uh, that was definitely very interesting. Thank you so much, Seamus. Um, where can people find you and, uh, you know, follow your work and all of that, your website, your Twitter? Oh, yeah. So um, I am on Twitter, at uh, Seamus underscore Malik, S-E-A-M-U-S underscore M-A-L-E-K. Uh, my website is listed there. And also, uh, I have a Substack now where I publish articles that other mainstream outlets do not want to publish. Uh, lots of long read analysis pieces, um, stuff about the Middle East that if you don't speak Arabic, if you don't speak Persian, um, those parts of the Middle East might be hidden away from you. My hope is that I can maybe bring some of those niches to the forefront. No, I was going to say, I was checking it out, man. And there's definitely insight there that I've not seen anywhere else. But a lot of analysts have like this weird problem with you. Like, why is that? Like, you speak Persian, you're fucking half Iranian. Like, you know the area. You, you know all of these niche little bits, but you're not like, you know, suckling the teeth of the US state. So therefore bad. Like, I don't get it. Why do people... I don't know. Is it just because you're an asshole like I am a bit? <laughs> like, <or what? laughs> like, you know, like uh, some people really don't like that. Like, well, you got him on again. It's like, fuck you, bro. Go back to DC. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a fucking complicated discussion. But so, so many Iranians, I think, in DC, uh, the only outlet that they can go to that, that kind of like reports on these kinds of things are outlets that are owned by the Iranian government, not the Iranian government, the U.S. government. Um, stuff like Radio Farda, um, Voice of America, Farsi. Uh, but the issue is, is that, you know, these, these places, they have editorial, the U.S. government has editorial control over these things. Even if you are like a very open-minded journalist, someone who's really committed to uh, truth-telling and being honest and fair, you're going to get pushed out eventually. And that's what happened at Voice of America to, uh, to a lot of people. And this is just what, and the people who work at Voice of America, the people who work at Radio Fauda, the people who are in with like the FDD and their Iran project, this is who DC people, they interact with all the time. And they think that that's the mainstream position where in fact, a lot of Iranians, such as myself, disagree pretty vehemently with American policies in the region. And when they see that, I think it's just kind of a reaction of abject terror. Uh, how, how unbelievably boring. Well, I would just say on the record, I know Seamus and I know that he is not a fucking pro-regime shill. I wouldn't even have anyone like that on here. I'm completely against totalitarianism. But anyway, thank you, Seamus. It's a pleasure as always. Fuck the Islamic Republic. 
I, I want that. Sh- I want that shit on the record. I, I don't want anybody saying I'm Pariah GC or none of that shit. Yeah, bro. Oh, sorry. Say the Substack address. Sorry, I think I talked over you. Sorry. Yeah, MalikFzali.substack.com. M A L E K A F Z A L I dot substack.com uh it's five dollars a month to get uh to get premium articles but uh, occasionally i will publish articles for free there is a free article up right now uh, called twin hypocrisies america iran and the george floyd protests where i analyze how the iranian media and the american media have responded to the george floyd protests uh i think it's pretty good and i think you'll enjoy it as well looking forward to it mate thanks very much man have a good day no problem that was Seamus Malik of Zali speaking about these mysterious bombings in Iran and all these weird theories around it. Was it Israel? Wasn't it Israel? Who knows? Mad situation that's going on there with these like bombs going off. No one really knows what it is. Whole world seems to be on fire at the minute. Um, anyway, uh, if you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popular front. That is the main way we make money. We are grassroots. We're independent. We do not have any corporate backing. We refuse corporate backing and we refuse dodgy rich benefactors. So the way we keep moving is all grassroots. Patreon.com slash popular front. Keep us moving there. The more we get, the more we make. I mean, we if we if we hit the ten thousand a month, like ten thousand dollars a month mark, then I'm gonna start making a whole series, like a proper video documentary series, based around uh, underreported conflicts. Not just about talking about them, actually going to them, seeing them, places you've never fucking heard of, where there are wars going on right now that you don't know about. So hopefully we hit that goal and we can get going, and you will get loads more. Patreon.com/slash/popularfront, or if you want to support in a different way go to popularfront.co slash support you can support with bitcoin donations um there's talk about sponsorship all sorts there um bear in mind though sponsorship we only work with independent um non-fuckhead companies so yeah sponsors of this episode our friends at oracle coffee shop in portland oregon usa they're an independent coffee shop selling only fair trade products see them at 3875 southwest bond avenue 97239 tell them that popular front send you very good bunch of people kept their business going through corona kept their workers paid good people next sponsor is a grindcore house they're a pair of independent coffee shops again in philadelphia usa there's one in south and one in west check them out on social media at grindcore house and tell them popular front send you you might get something nice there social medias uh, follow us on twitter at popular front co instagram at popular.front the website popularfront.co you'll see basically everything there um my instagram my instagram my twitter is uh, at jake underscore hanrahan h-a-n-i-h-a-n youtube youtube.com slash popular front um thank you very much to the high tier patrons they are ian froes james cully uh michael uh, it's taken ages to load michael akakan ethan reyes fitz madrid Joe Watt, Chandler Marlin, Alex Northrop, Ed Coulthard, Johnny LaFleur, Clayton Taylor, Hugo Newski, Maxwell Burke, B-R-E-N-8-6, Anthony Kabarik, congratulations bro, Dong Wayne, Liam Williams, Fragile Feeling, Chris Cusimano, Chris Cusimano, sorry, Sebastian from the Discord, Degenerate Alpha Zero, Chris Davis, DR, uh, Trey Nance, Charlie, Olin Thorne, Amy Rupert, Rubicon, Prashant Singh, uh, Azad, Frank Austin, Amelia Me. Uh, thanks, you said to me the other day, yes, she did say the name right. <laughs> so I'm glad. If, like I said, if, if I say your name's wrong, message me, tell me. Um, I'm not doing it on purpose, I promise. Christina Rivetti, Josh, Moody Al Rashid, Bill Wilson, Emiliano, uh, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Ari from Discord, Young Wasabi, Sarushe Hawazi, Tony Bin, Adam Berg Snyder, Skatoon Music, Stephen Davila, Patrick Bronte, Dan Dunham, 
This is taking so long to load, what is going on? Fletcher Tate, Chad Walker, Diana Gorvanek, Q-Ball, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick, Emily Molly, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, Daniel Shearer and Joe Anstocker. Thank you all so much. Without you, this would honestly fall on its ass very, very quickly. So thanks very much. Um, what else is there? What else do we need to talk about? Uh, oh yeah, a lot of people are, uh, hit me up saying, when's this um, the CHOP documentary? The CHOP being the um, Capitol Hill occupation protest. The thing that was in Seattle that ended in a very bad way with the shootings. Don't worry, like our lads are editing it still. You have to remember, like this is a very small team. It's mostly just me. It's like 99% me. We've got uh, Johnny LaFleur. And Max Curtis, who've been working on the dock over there in America for me, obviously I can't go to America, which is annoying. So they've been doing all that, they've been working very hard, they were literally camping out in the area, in the chop, filming everything, so they've got a ton of footage to get through. And then, you know, I've got to look at it, it's got to go this way, got to go that way, I'm saying no, do this, they're saying okay, do this, but we want to do that. So, you know, we're all working out how it's going to work. VOs to be, you know, sorted out, refined. It's a long process when you do not have a big team, man. Trust me. So please, please, just bear with me. I know everyone's going as well. Where's the fucking ITS duck? I'm asking myself, where is it? I do need to finish that. Um, I might just put it out for the Patreons, to be honest, because um, I know like it's been ridiculous how long everyone's waiting for it. But I've got a billion things to do, man. It's just so much work. I'm very happy there's so much work, but it is. It's like tiring, man. And you know, there's very few hands to do it. So please, please, just bear with us. But the free cap hill which is um the, the new doc from the chop hopefully that will be out next week on youtube i'm almost definite it will be out next week i think we're gonna have a push for that but we'll see um anyway thank you very much music in this episode the intro was by home and the outro was by my mate sam black aka son of old check his music at samblackpf.com um, and honestly, you should follow him on uh, Instagram because he puts up like stuff there, you know, like like music stuff that he wouldn't always put anywhere else. So that is at Sam Black six seven seven eight.